Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. Think you know the Brooks Ghost? Think again. Introducing the all-new, better-than-ever Ghost 16. Now with nitrogen-infused cushioning for lightweight, supreme softness that feels good every step, every street, every single day. So go ahead, take your daily joyride in the all-new nitrogen-infused Ghost 16. It'll turn your everyday miles into everyday endorphins. Let's run there. Head to brooksrunning.com to learn more. What's up, everybody? Welcome to Hangout in the Holy Land, Land Grant's flagship podcast. I am Josh Dooley, and with me, as always, he is the Cal Naughton to my Ricky Bobby, the one, the only, Chuck Holmes. Chuck, you ready to shake and bake, or what? Shake and bake, brother. Shake and bake. Let's do this. I am... I'm not even going to pretend like I'm fired up for Michigan State, but... I am fired up for this pod because we got a got a lot to cover and a lot of topics that I'm extremely passionate about. Can't wait. For sure. Chuck and I are recording this episode on a beautiful Tuesday evening, and we do have plenty to discuss, including some Ohio State basketball. Because, you know, here at Land Grant, the Bucketheads and Thomas Costello... And a few others, like they do a great job of covering primarily OSU hoops. But Chuck and I, we dabble or we dribble. You know, we've played basketball our entire lives. We love it. We coach our kids to play it to varying degrees of success. But let's start there, partner. Both Ohio State's men's and women's basketball teams tipped off their respective seasons yesterday slash last night, again, to varying degrees of success. The women played yesterday afternoon and dropped a tough one to a solid USC team. The latter ranked number 21, I believe. And then the men trailed for most of their game against Oakland, but came back to beat the Golden Grizzlies last night. One team lost, the other barely won, but I don't think that changes 
the way we feel about either. Let's start with the, the OSU women, Chuck. I was not able to watch during the day, but I looked around and I found some highlights online. From afar, seems pretty straightforward to me. Um, the Buckeyes struggled shooting the ball while the Trojans were far more efficient. USC also crushed Ohio State on the boards. Look, USC is a good team. Juju Watkins went nuclear. Uh, their center put up 18 and 17. And it's the first game of the year. I'm not too worried about it. I think the Buckeyes will be just fine. I think the Buckeyes women's team will be just fine. What say you? Yeah, I, I still have less questions about the women's team than I do the men's team, even though they lost. You know, you you got to travel across country your first game of the year. You're playing uh, a team that is good with a player that, for those of you that aren't familiar with Juju, you are going to find out quickly uh, that this young lady is a force in, in basketball as a whole, and she is going to be a force in college this year. She is going to – this is not the only time she's going to go out and score 32 points in a game. So I am less concerned about that. They played a really good team on the road. It happens. You brought up the women going cross-country. That game was played in Vegas. Weird things happen. I can certainly attest to that. But I'm with you. No no concerns there for the number seven team in the country. I think they'll bounce back. I know they've got Tennessee in a week or two or whatever. They're going to be a good team. They've got a ton of experience. They brought some transfers in, yada, yada, yada. Elsewhere, though, here in Columbus, the men's team needed a second-half comeback to beat Oakland, fighting out of the mighty Horizon League. Um, Ohio State was pretty dreadful. In the first half, honestly, couldn't hit shots, much like we saw last year. But then Roddy Gale got hot in the second half. Zed Key played well, while Felix Akpara was like fouling everyone in sight. I am sir, I am, I was, everything in between, hoping to see more from these guys, as in better play. Um, they looked flat. And I don't even know if flat's the right word. They just they weren't executing. They weren't shooting the ball well. It's it's like every Ohio State loss we saw last year, and that is what was concerning to me just right off the bat. When you let your opponent shoot forty percent from three, and you only shoot twenty eight percent, that's not a recipe for success in a lot of scenarios. They got lucky that Oakland didn't shoot that well from two. They were actually under forty percent from two. Or this would have been, they would have been in trouble in this game. Uh, for all you've heard about Akpara, it, his new body, his new mindset, his new leadership, it means nothing if he can't stay on the floor. Yeah. Now, obviously, Zed, obviously Zed Key helped offset that some, but we know that Zed Key is not the defensive force that we think Felix Akpara can be. And part of what they probably needed yesterday. So that part's concerning. Uh, <laughs> you're right in that they just didn't look like a team that was ready to go be killers. And 
And if you're coming off a, a down season, you're at home. I get it. There were 9,000 people there, but you're at home. You're playing a team scheduled or projected to finish sixth in the Horizon League. This has got to be a game where you come out and jump their ass and handle business in the first half. And if things go wonky because it's the first game, okay. But when it looks like it's an energy and an effort, not effort, but an energy and a uh, desire level, that part of it is concerning. And it, you're right. It was like eerily similar to a game from last year. And to me, that is, that's really concerning that that's not something that no matter everything else, that should be the one thing that they tried to not make this game look like and unfortunately failed. Yeah, I don't want to overreact. Uh, I like a lot of pieces on this roster, but my primary concern is shooting. Um, we saw this team struggle with it last year. They haven't had a Justin Ahrens type guy. And, you know, they didn't want Justin Ahrens the last season that he was here in Columbus, but they it doesn't seem like they have a lights-out shooter. And... When you've got guys like, look, I think Roddy Gale is much better as like a slasher and a get-to-the-bucket guy. I think he's a really good athlete. Bruce Thornton, sort of the same deal, but the point guard version, right? He's built like a small tank. He can get to the basket. He can get to the line, but he's not Steph Curry. You don't want him out there taking seven, eight, nine threes per game. So while I was impressed with like uh, true freshman Scotty Middleton, he was good, and Gale did look good once he settled in. He had 17-7-5. But Chris Holtman has to find some outside shooting or this team is not going anywhere. They expected to get some of that from transfer Jamison Battle, who was a high-level scorer at Minnesota. He can shoot the ball, but he only took... He attempted one or two shots in the entire second half. I wasn't sure. I was watching some of it or just following a little bit of it on my phone. And I, I thought he may have been out of the game or gotten injured or anything because he didn't really do anything in the second half. And so I'm not sure where else the shooting comes from. Like I said, both Gale and Bruce Thornton, they can give you a little something in that area, but neither is a deadly shooter. I like them driving to the basket, scoring in the mid-range. Maybe Middleton can stroke it, but 7 for 25 as a team is not going to get it done. No, but you're right. And I don't know who who's the answer because Roddy Gale's not the answer as like a, a drop or a, a drop dead shooter. He was six for seven inside the arc and over four behind it. That's his game, that, though. That's his game. Right. And same with Bruce Thornton. He was now he struggled from inside, but I, we don't anticipate that being the case. Battle's going to have to give them some because. And Middleton's going to have to give him some. Because if you look at the other guys, Bonner's, Bonner's not known for his shooting. Devin Royal's a big guy. Yeah, I mean, he can shoot. I've watched him in high school. He's got a decent stroke, but he's not the guy that you're going to sit back there and expect to get six, seven, eight attempts out of. I mean, he only played six minutes yesterday anyway. So that part of it is it's concerning. It's also concerning, like, they only played nine guys yesterday with – Two guys in foul trouble in the starting lineup, and they still only went to Royal for six minutes. He obviously doesn't have any faith in anybody else on this roster to actually give minutes against Oakland in the first half. 
is also something that's that's pretty alarming and worrisome if for some reason there were an injury especially to a big man if akpara or key gets hurt what the hell are they gonna do well i think parks is working his way back to health he's an available big man but you know he's a freshman he's never seen the floor before and chapman was out they i think that they expect him to be back sooner than later they are sort of limited when it comes to that, but guys have to make themselves available and like stay in the game, right? Even, look, Battle is not a center, but he's a bigger guy. He can do something for you down there. Um, Mahaffey, 6'6", but plays sort of a... Uh, I. I I don't want to say Draymond Green sort of role because he's very limited offensively, but he's sort of got a defensive mindset, I guess. So there are guys who can give you parts and, and you know and things here and there, but you're right. They need to show depth before said depth is tested. And if you struggle with Oakland, you're probably not going to see 10, 11, 12, the 12th guy off the bench against Texas A&M on Friday. So yeah, this was that one opportunity you hoped to see some guys, and it just didn't work out that way. When you say Mahaffey's limited offensively, how does 14 minutes, zero sh- shots, did not attempt a shot in 14 minutes, but did foul four times. I think he had the first three fouls in like six minutes. I mean, dude was in and out. crazy. The other one is kind of concerning, and I know he was in foul trouble, so it probably limited some, but he's a big dude. Akpara had one rebound in 13 minutes. Like, I don't care how many fouls you get in 13 minutes. When you're 6'10", you, that's got to be three, four, five rebounds. If he's playing 30 minutes, he's got to be 8 to 10 rebounds. Let's do let's just do the math. That can't be one. Hopefully he doesn't have Jaron Jackson Jr. disease. Right? There's tall athletic defender, you challenge a right. bunch of shots and average four and a half rebounds per game. You might win defensive player of the year, but then when you're left to your own devices, your team is what? 0 and 7, 1 and 6 without their superstar. So, he's not bringing a ton to the table and you know, that's not a knock on Triple J or Michigan State. Just thoughts that I would throw that comp out there. Regardless, work to be done, but I'm not going to overreact. I, when it comes to college basketball, like the first five games or so, they don't count to me. They're not getting the preseason run that I think they used to. Like, Chuck, you probably remember TV was a little bit different, but like they would have two, three, four like televised exhibition games before anything sort of even started. And we'd get to see a little bit more of that. They get Oakland, not a good team, but then boom, right away it's Texas A&M. So they're going to have a feeling out process. I think they'll be fine. I think that they'll be better than last year. But I do ultimately have questions about this team's ceiling, especially if they can't find shooting. But um, I guess let's do it. Chuck, basketball talk aside, before we get into this Michigan State preview, I I don't think that we would be doing our job as highly compensated professional podcasters with millions of listeners if we did not discuss 
the Michigan scandal, um, alleged scandal, alleged behavior, whatever it is. A number of recent developments have come out. I'll just hit a couple bullet points here. You know, Michigan is now saying that Ohio State and Rutgers allegedly, according to a reporter to online, like conspired against them and gave Purdue signals or information prior to the 2022 Big Ten Championship. Doesn't seem like there's anything illegal going on there. That's coaches talking. I think that's pretty regular. But if Purdue goes to Ohio State and Rutgers and says, hey, we're going to play this asshole that none of you guys like, <laughs> that you know is uh, wronged you in the past, what do you know about some of their signals? Yeah, okay. Like, what do you want to know? Here's what I think I know. Here's what I think that we've figured out. Doesn't seem anything, doesn't seem like anything, um, you know, crazy going on there. And then you've got this Connor Stallions guy. I think I said on a previous podcast, like, I cannot wait. I cannot wait for somebody to develop the movie about this guy. Some of the things that have come out either today or in recent days, like he may have had upwards of like five dozen people, like 60 people who at some point went and attended and filmed a game for him. He has a half a million dollar house near Michigan's campus. Look, he's a veteran. He was in the Marines or VA loans, stuff like that. It is what it is. You've got the vacuum cleaner thing where... He's going to court to defend himself against like the HOA that wants to get rid of him because he's got dozens of vacuum cleaners on his porch. He's reselling, refurbishing them. Um, I guess he and Blake Corum are involved in a business venture together, according to some new stuff that's circulating online. Look, Chuck, I don't think that we're going to know the real deal about any of this for a long, long time. And you and I talked before we started recording. We are both in agreement that any punishment in the, like punishment in the not so distant future, if it happens at all, it's not going to be major. Or this is just going to get dragged out. There's going to be court battles, yada, yada, yada. But taking all of that into consideration, is this the craziest college sports story that you can remember? And I'm putting you on the spot a little bit. Maybe you've got another idea or two that, you know, there's a whole death penalty thing, but there are a lot of things that I like vaguely remember in the past. Is this the one that just takes the cake for you? No, it's probably the Baylor basketball one. Mm. Uh, yeah. Yeah where they covered up the murder, <laughs> but <laughs> taking that out because that was a loss of life. It's pretty damn close. And it's in, in today's date, the problem is, is 15 years ago, 90% of what you heard was probably true, but you also only heard 10% of what you do now. So now you can't really, you can only take this stuff with a grain of salt because everybody anywhere in any part of social media is so 
divided and they're so there's they're so behind their group yeah. that they're willing to say and do anything to make their group look better truth be damned they don't care people don't care if it's the truth they just want their people to look better so it's crazy it'll be i don't even i don't even know what to like expect because for the big 10 to come down on them would be unprecedented it would be a bottom line uh challenge for them and let's be honest the the whole purpose of all the big 10 football everything is money so why would they all of a sudden hurt their chance at the bottom line whether they like it or not whether we like it or not michigan goes to the playoff people are going to be watching even people that don't like michigan because they're going to want to know they're going to hate watch so that part of it is challenging to me that they would ever do anything to actually hurt that and potentially cost themselves some money. This feels like a 2026 solution waiting to happen. You're probably right. I mean, selfishly, as an Ohio State fan, it, it seems like every other institution in the Big Ten hates Michigan at this point. So maybe it gathers steam that way. And I, I look, I could not agree with you more that eyes would be on Michigan if they make it to a college football playoff. But at the same time, the same number or more sets of eyes would be on Ohio State. And not quite Penn State, but you'd still get a ton of viewership there. So, yeah, I get it, but... I, I think you just have to do the right thing, but I don't think that they are going to know the right thing or come up with the right thing until, you know, really well in the future. But just, I was thinking about the scandals a little bit and Baylor, you know, the Baylor basketball one was, uh, I don't want to say a good one, but a, a good option, a good way to answer the question. Duke lacrosse. That one was a doozy. That was insane. Insanity. And but look what happened. And look what happened with that, though. How much of it was true? Yeah, very, very good very, point. Very little. Good point. And then there's the SMU death penalty. And then it seemed like 20 years ago, 25 years ago, there were college basketball point-shaving scandals like every week. It was a 90s thing. But I always thought that was sort of crazy because it's like you're playing in a game and shaving points. But years later, we know that guys are making tens of thousand dollars or being offered that. So, yeah, I don't. I was hesitant to even bring this up because there's a new development. There's something new on social media, like every single minute of every single day. But we don't know enough. We don't really know anything in the grand scheme of things, other than. The fact that the Michigan football program is a bunch of dirty cheaters and they deserve some sort of repercussions, but that's just a biased Ohio State fan speaking without all of the details. But look, Chuck, let's get to some football while we're on the topic already, I guess. It's week 10 of the college football season. It is The season is coming to an end far too quickly. 
Enjoy these weekends while you can. I know that I will. Ohio State hosts Michigan State this weekend. It's a night game. We're getting some alternate unis. Cool stuff like that. So I say that we jump into this preview, but only after a quick break. What do you say? I'm ready. Let's do this. All right. We'll be right back. Welcome back, everybody, to Hang Out in the Holy Land, Land Grant's flagship podcast for Chuck Holmes. I am Josh Dooley, and we are talking Ohio State, Michigan State. A couple of years ago, you listening, you may have given a shit about this game, frankly, but it's been a rough go of it for the Spartans. It's been a rough couple of years since the end of the Mark D'Antonio uh, era. And, like, 2023, womp, womp, womp. The Spartans are down really bad this year, primarily due to, well, several things, really. Some might say that the tipping point was Michigan State's firing of former head coach Mel Tucker in September. But this team stunk last year, too. From the moment that Tucker set foot in East Lansing, he attempted to strengthen and or rebuild MSU's roster by leveraging the transfer portal. And to his credit, he struck gold with Kenneth Walker III. But beyond that, there were more swings and misses than there were home runs. It seems like Tucker and the Spartans thought that they would just continue bringing in these preassembled parts and winning but it rarely works that way. And I don't know how many people really remember the transition from D'Antonio to Tucker. But when Tuck got the Michigan State job, he didn't inherit the worst roster in college football. Okay, MSU had Peyton Thorne, Jaden Reed, uh, Jaden Naylor already in-house on offense. And then on defense, they had Cal Halliday, Xavier Henderson, and others it wasn't great, right? But they had some dudes. Then Walker came in, carried to them, carried Sparty to 11 wins in 2021, but he had already been a guy at Wake Forest. In East Lansing, no one else really got better. No one developed. So I think that Tucker might have just sucked as a head coach and got lucky for one season. Chuck, am I right, wrong, or somewhere in between? No, I think I think there was a possibility for you to be wrong until he belie- started believing his own hype. I think after that first year, you could almost see the change in how he handled himself and how he handled the program and, and what he thought coming. kind of expected. Tuck coming. Yeah. Like he just thought that, that things were going to be stay that way, that he could just go get those guys every time. And like you said, he, he, he caught lightning in a bottle with, with Kenneth Walker and he came here and did exactly what he, everybody kind of thought he might do because he already was a really successful back at Wake Forest. So that part of it coming in, you would have thought he had a chance to, for some sustainability, like uh, a D'Antonio just kind of building the team, growing it organically, filling needs as he thought he might need in a transfer portal, but he went straight scorched earth on the team and, and brought these guys in and then completely turned into, uh, as, as you can hear with the, 
uh, termination issues that and the lawsuit and that he's turned into a diva that thinks he's kind of above everybody else. And he handled himself that way for the last 18 months and ultimately uh, made some phone calls that lost him this job. Yeah, a couple phone calls. Um, went a little sideways. But it's a bummer, too, because I liked pre-2020 Mel Tucker. You know, and he was a highly thought of guy and a highly respected guy. And I guess that we don't know the extent of everything that went on, but it seems like we know most of what went on. And I think that's a good point by you. I I think that he got caught up in his own hype and it's like, oh man, I walked in here and turned this thing around in no time. I'm going to keep you know, shopping in the portal and we're going to get this thing going. And it really hasn't worked, at least recently. But let's get back to 2023. The Spartans are currently 3-6 and six after starting out 2-0. and oh. What's funny is I actually sort of forgot that Tucker coached the first two games. Like, it was erased from my memory. But now Harlan Barnett is at the helm. He's a Cincinnati guy. He played defensive back in the NFL for a bit, then transitioned to high school coaching, and now college. This is his second stint with Michigan State, but it has not gone very well because not only is he, you know, he's 1-5 in five as the interim head coach, but he is slash was, I guess, also the defensive backs coach. Chuck, remember when this team gave up infinity passing yards per game in 2021? Now, that position group has gotten marginally better, which we'll get to later. But first, let's look at the Michigan State offense, or lack thereof, because this unit is averaging just 18.2 points per game, good or bad, for number 123, or you know, 123rd in the country out of 133 teams. It's not good. It's awful. It stinks. It belongs in the Big Ten West, if you really think about it. The Spartans could really use a guy like Keon Coleman. For example, what do you think of that? Oh, that's right. That's right. They had him, and they had Peyton Thorne, and they had some other guys. But now, at quarterback, Noah Kim started the first five games before suffering an injury. He didn't light the world on fire, and he may or may not return this season. I think the job belongs to Kaiten Hauser. This game against Ohio State would be his fifth start. He's completing 58.7% of his passes uh, for just three touchdowns and two interceptions. It hasn't been great. But Hauser was a St. John Bosco kid and a top 250-ish national recruit out of California. So there is some talent there. Unfortunately for Sparty, he just he's not a difference maker right now. And he doesn't have the best supporting cast his best game yardage-wise this season is 165 yards through the air. However, if MSU wanted to switch it up, they could go with true freshman Sam Levitt. I think that's how you pronounce it. He poses a bit of a running threat, and he attempted 12 passes against Minnesota a few weeks ago. He could be a real wild card if Barnett and his coaches just you know, want to throw caution to the wind, try and save their jobs because Levitt was the high school player of the year in Oregon last year. And on three 
had him as the number seven quarterback in the 2023 recruiting class. I'm honestly kind of surprised that he hasn't been handed the job already, but I don't know. There may be some interest in saving his red shirt. What do you, Chuck, what do you think of this Michigan State quarterback situation for starters? I wouldn't save a red shirt in the transfer porter era ever again. <laughs> if I was a coach, I would just play the guys because what, what are they going to, if he's not happy, he's going to leave anyway. So just play him. I don't think anybody in that room can put any kind of pressure on this Ohio State defense. Uh, they don't, they're not accurate enough. They don't drive the ball downfield enough. And if you're not going to put like super pressure with some elite arm talent, that seems to be the word of the week or phrase of the week between you and I. If you don't have a lead arm talent, you're not going to put any pressure on this defense. So it's kind of irrelevant. Either of these guys can do it. I know uh, recruiting rankings say that there's some potential there, but the stats say otherwise. And those stats are against teams that don't have the defense that Ohio State has. That's fair. But to be fair to them, the supporting cast stinks. It really does. Oh, it's it's awful. Sucks. <laughs> Nothing personal. It, it never is. But at running back, Connecticut transfer Nate Carter is Michigan State's current leader of the pack. He's got some wiggle to him. He's solid. He does lead the room with uh, 659 yards on the ground, and he has also added 19 catches, although they're mostly dump-offs. Jalen Berger was Carter's backup, former Wisconsin Badger, rushed for nearly 700 yards uh, as a Spartan last year, but he's been banged up in 2023, and then he suffered a season-ending injury a few weeks ago against that team up north. On the perimeter, Ohio State will be tasked with covering pass catchers Montori Foster, Trey Mosley, Malik Carr, and Jerron Glover. All have more than 200 yards through the air, but no star, no real standout like Jaden Reed or like Keon Coleman, both of whom were Spartans last year. The player that I am actually most interested in seeing from Michigan State on Saturday is redshirt freshman Antonio Gates Jr. You know, he's the son of former of the former NFL tight end, sharing the same name, who should be a Hall of Famer by now. Junior is obviously a different player, but a talented one. So do any of these other guys, these skill position guys, put any fear into you, Chuck? No, and and really the only thing that you can hope for, I think, if you're a Spartan fan, is that Carter gets rolling, and I know he averages four, 4.2, something like that. If he can get to five, five and a half a carry – against these uh this Buckeye defense maybe you can keep the offense off their offense off the field and keep the score low but besides that I mean in all reality the only other thing I want to see is I actually want to see uh Gates Jr heading over to spend some time with coach Izzo because they might need him you know dad was a basketball player in college and Junior might need to go play for Sparty because they looked like hot garbage yesterday. Or yeah, last night. And they might need his help on the hardwood. Yeah, who did they lose to? Like a, a Bucknell or something? Yeah, it was uh I don't remember, but they uh <laughs> It was a bad team. It was a bad team in Michigan State's 
Michigan State basketball is ranked number four, I think, uh, in, going into last in night. A, in their never-ending attempt for content, ESPN knocked them off their top line of their bracketology already. I love the bracketology already exists. Hell, it existed before the season. I was like, we're, we're doing too much at this point. But, yeah, Izzo might need Antonio Gates Jr., and then, look, I'm not going to pretend that I know a lot about this Michigan State offensive line. They've got some experienced guys up there, but no household names, at least that I am aware of. They don't give up a ton of sacks, though, uh, fewer than two per game. On defense, Michigan State has a few guys I like, but they are still middle of the pack in points per game allowed. And they gave up 40-plus to both Washington and Michigan, as well as 26 and 27 to Iowa and Rutgers, respectively. So, look, I don't think it's fair for us to say that Ohio State's offense is up there with Washington's. I don't really know about Michigan's because they haven't played anybody, but they're certainly a heck of a lot better than Iowa and Rutgers on that side of the ball. So, Michigan State's middle of the pack based on schedule and schedule alone in points per game allowed. Up front, defensive tackles Simeon Barrow and Derek Harmon plug the middle. The latter is listed at 6'5", 330. That's a unit. But the Spartans lack real juice on the edge. Brandon Wright is their leading sacker from the defensive end position. He has two. And he is also a converted running back. So no Boses and Youngs on the outside for this Michigan State squad. They lost Jacoby Windman early, which was a huge blow for them. He was the former Mountain West Conference Defensive Player of the Year at UNLV. Then he transferred to Michigan State in 2022. He had five and a half sacks in eight games last year, uh, but got banged up. And he was only able to play three this season before going down. Um, they also added former five-star defensive lineman Tunmise. Adelier from Texas A&M, and he basically gave them nothing before he suffered his own injury six games in. They've just missed on some guys, and they've had bad luck too, but this is the gamble you take or the risk you take when you go out and you get players from the portal, one guy at one position, instead of building up the internal depth, in my opinion. Now, at linebacker, Cal Halliday is an absolute dude for them, for Michigan State. He has 281 total tackles in uh, you know roughly two and a half seasons as a starter. This season, he has a pick and a fumble return for a touchdown. One of the best defensive players in the Big Ten, again, in my opinion. He is joined at the second level by true freshman Jordan Hall and then sixth-year senior, Aaron Brule, quite the difference there. But Brule leads the team in sacks, and Hall was a four-star recruit in the 2023 class. Seems like he has established himself as perhaps uh, the heir apparent to Halliday, even though they play in different spots. So, Chuck, Ohio State, when you're looking at the front six, front seven for Michigan State, they've got some guys, it seems like they can play the run, but they don't get after the opposing quarterback that much. And 
while I like the linebackers, I don't know how much is just being funneled to them. So give me a quick thought or two on the defensive line and the linebackers for Michigan State. You can say they don't get to the quarterback that often, but they still get there more than Ohio State does. So that <laughs> part is, I mean, they, they're almost three sacks a game. There's some concern there, especially with how Kyle McCord has handled a little bit of pressure. The few times that he's been pressured, he's either thrown it straight into the ground or laid it on the ground. So that part is is a little concerning. Like you said, their linebackers being the strength and how much this off Ohio State offense has had to lean on Travion Henderson uh, leads you to be a little bit concerned because if they can, if, if these offensive linemen can't get to the second level uh, like they have been able to a lot these last couple weeks, then you could see so, where all of a sudden the offense is going to stall out because between those three guys, I mean, you're talking. 130 140 tackles between them so they they go and put the the guy on the ground that's got the ball so that part is if you're going to find something that's concerning i think that's it that if they can get mccord in second and longs and third and longs maybe they can knock him down a couple times turnovers can change any game so that part is about it that you could consider as a like super concern with this this front seven or this defense as a whole, really. And that's sort of why I think Ohio State's passing game, I, I think they get back on track this week. I know that there's like the possibility because in the secondary, I said Michigan State has gotten better, and they have, right? True freshman chance Rucker. Claimed a corner spot right away opposite uh, sophomore Dylan Tatum. I think he's got like seven pass breakups. Tatum does. They're young. They'll get beat. But they will also compete and get their hands on some passes. Angelo Gross is the Swiss Army knife for this secondary. He can move between the slot and safety spots. Uh, he has two picks and five pass breakups. And at safety... Malik Spencer is the Spartans' uh, second-leading tackler, while Jaden Mangum leads them in interceptions with four. So I'll say this. Michigan State's secondary is not the Legion of Boom by any means, but they're young and they're getting better, which is a big step for them. But it's still roughly the same group of guys. It's the same coaching staff that finished like dead last in pass defense two years ago. And if Ohio State wants to get to where you know they ultimately want to go or be, they need to tighten up this passing game. And so I think this is a week to focus on that because like we saw the Rutgers game last year, Rutgers front to back, I think is just a solid defense. Period, point blank. They've got guys up front they've got guys in the middle the corners especially played fairly well for them I just don't think Michigan State has that collection and that ability to sort of do the same thing so I, I hope Kyle McCord bounces back this week and I feel pretty confident that he will this has got to be the get right week for him if he wants the 
alarms to not be sounded for the last two weeks of the year, this has got to be the week. And it, it's to the point in the season where I don't know how much improvement physically can be made. Now, I think there's probably some mental improvement that can happen. So if he can't do it this week, I think any and all concerned Buckeye fans And, and specifically for the Michigan game is warranted because it is going to be a challenge that the Buckeyes haven't seen against Michigan in a while if the confidence in the quarterback isn't there. Yeah, all valid. Honestly, it really did, or really is. But in total, I just don't think Michigan State has the talent right now to scare Ohio State on either side. Even if one side plays a little bit better, then I I don't think offense and defense can combine to really pose much of a threat to this Ohio State team, even if they're they're struggling. We saw Ohio State struggle with Rutgers, still ended up being a, a 20-point win or whatever it was. Granted, it happened late. I think Rutgers is far better than Michigan State. And Michigan State... They beat Nebraska last week, but if you saw any of that game, like it, it set the game of football back several years. It was disgusting. It, Michigan State didn't win it so much as they just outlasted the other crappy team that they played. So that's where I'm at. The spread is currently around 30 points. But until Ohio State plays a complete game, I am not taking them to beat any Power 5 team by 30. I'm just not. So I'll go first with this real quick. I think the Buckeyes win by 21 to 28. So give me 38 13. 38 to 13. Man, I can't believe you're thinking they're going to score 13 points. I'm going to go 31 to 3. I think this is a defense comes to play handles business and hopefully the offense comes to play and all 31 points are like points that we can point to and say, yeah, the offense handled business there. I almost don't want any short fields. Uh, I, you never want your defense to not uh, make plays, but I almost want the offense to have to drive four five, six times in this game to Build some momentum heading forward. Yeah, this needs to be a get-right game, in my opinion. Ohio State needs to handle business. Uh, I looked ahead at the forecast. It's going to be like 55 degrees, really nice fall weather as of right now. That could change, but the Buckeyes are at home. They're wearing the alt unis. Uh, The crowd should be going bananas, so... This needs to be a get-right game, and it sounds like we both sort of feel like it will, me to a lesser extent, but that's sort of it for the preview, Chuck. I want to turn it back over to you if you're interested. You know, we usually talk about Ryan Day's Tuesday press conference beforehand. I wasn't sure how long we'd go, so we skipped it in the beginning, but I, I know that there were... A couple of things, maybe just a thing or two that sort of frustrated you from Dave's presser. So the floor is yours. Tell me what you heard. Tell me what you liked or didn't like about it. 
well, not only for you or for me frustrations, but I know one of these and, and I'll, I'll wait to the last. This one's probably going to break your heart. But the special teams conversations during this press conference were kind of mind boggling to me. Uh, the idea that the play call wasn't communicated correctly. He even brought up like that they normally run to the right when they punt and that this was run to the left and that the communication was wrong. I just don't understand how that happens. Like I can't get it. And he defended Parker Fleming some, and I will say that they pushed, but somebody actually asked about his, uh, like (laughs) job status almost. And he was effusive with praise of he's he works as hard as anybody. And I watch him teach these guys. So, no, we're not going to make a change. But working hard doesn't mean jack shit if you don't produce. Like, I don't care how hard you work. If you suck at your job, I've known a lot of people that try really hard and are terrible at their job. And he's one of them. So that part was really, I just, I I couldn't understand that. The other part that really was confusing, and I I was pissed that nobody said anything. He actually said this twice because they brought special teams back up. He mentioned that there are multiple coaches involved in the special teams meetings. A, what? (laughs) Who the hell else is involved in the special teams? And B, why the hell wouldn't they ask? The way he insinuated it, and he didn't insinuate like we've got a GA in there or it's an analyst. He insinuated like this staff is involved in special teams meetings. Why is that the case? And why didn't anybody ask who the hell's in there with Fleming and why they're in there? Well, Chuck, we're going to end this podcast on a a positive or a good note for you because I've got a pleasant surprise. I I know the answer to these questions, but you're going to have to wait until we go offline is sort of what I'm getting at. Um, No, I'm kidding. (laughs) Like, look, nobody knows the answers as, as to why Parker Fleming is so highly thought of. Like, Look, he could be a great guy. Um, Maybe there are other things that he helps with. If he does, then I would argue he's not paying enough attention to his primary responsibilities. But I don't get it. It is the Achilles heel of this Ohio State football program right now. But I also... I don't think that Ryan Day is ever going to be or admit to being the guy... Um, that like throws his guys under the bus. Um, I've heard him make excuses to be frank, but I don't think that he's going to openly air dirty laundry about his coaches. I don't think that he will tip his hand about any of that stuff. Um, like he was effusive in his praise of Kerry Combs, right? And everyone sort of knew that, look, they got to They're looking elsewhere. Like they got to move on here. So, it's going to suck, 
as long as he's as Parker Fleming's in Columbus, in our opinions, but it may or may not be for too much longer. So that's where I'm at. Chuck, did you have anything else from the presser? Yeah, this one kind of this one's gonna hurt your feelings some. Somebody asked about Jelani Thurman. And he said that he's had opportunities to earn playing time, or he's going to continue to get opportunities to earn playing time. Pretty much just slapped your boy right in the face and said, you're not good enough yet to crack this rotation. How does being a part owner, I know you couldn't like buy a full house on Thurman Island because of your (laughs) terrible investment on Fleming Island. But he was one of your guys this spring and and summer that you were high on. How does that how does that make you feel? So it was a duplex. You're right. I didn't have the funds to go full on investment on Thurman Island. But my position is very strong. We're holding. Um, I think that Jelani Thurman next year or the year after is going to obliterate. Ohio State tight end records because he'll learn to block and then he's just going to go out there and be a freak like we know that he is um, and catch a bunch of passes, score a bunch of touchdowns. So I'm not worried. I'm a little disappointed, sort of like I'm not mad. I'm just disappointed. I'm not angry. I'm disappointed. That's how I feel about the Thurman situation. But um, you heard it here first, guys. You heard it here first, 2026, year of the tight end. It's coming. Year of Jelani Thurman. But the tight end, the burger joint, like I'm a ride or die for both of those Thurmans. So that's where I'm at, and here's where we're at. We're going to go ahead and wrap this one up. Um, We thank you guys for listening. Chuck, I think, is going to be back potentially by himself on Sunday. Uh, yours truly look I'm doing research for the pod because I love you guys I will actually be in Cincinnati watching Joe Burrow and CJ Stroud somebody's got to make the sacrifice I'll come back with a full report but I think Chuck's gonna be solo so we definitely want to hear your social media reactions we want to see your emails (laughs) um Don't get Wally pipped. (laughs) We want all of that. So uh, like, rate, review, subscribe to the pod, hit us up. And until next time, as always, go Bucks.